of you believe in miracles? There's a few recorded in the Bible. But there's this one story about an honest man. His son needed a miracle. And Jesus essentially asked him, do you believe? And he said, yeah, but. And he was just honest. And sometimes we pray, but we're not sure that heaven hears. And we're not sure that God is listening, much less answering. Um, If you don't know me, I'm Jeff Adams, and I'm the guy that gets to write those messages that you read each week in the bulletin. And this is the 12th book I've contributed to. And I'll be in the foyer afterwards, just pre-orders. You don't have to pay today. Uh, But uh, my hope is that you'll, you'll get the book because on the back cover it says, No prayer is too big for God. I've got two stories in here about two of the four documentable medical miracles that God has given me. If you want your faith stirred, if you want to stir somebody else's faith, get the book, read the stories. Because we're all the same. We don't get miracles because we have great faith. Miracles happen because we have a great God. Thank you. See me in the foyer. Praise God. Oh, boy. Isn't God good? Amen. I just want to um, reiterate about Easter. We're going to have a great service on Easter. You want to invite family and friends and in-laws and outlaws and whoever uh, you know, bring them. We believe God's going to come here and he is here to save and set free. And so you want to mark that down. We're going to have a great service on Easter. But also I want to remind everybody about Breakthrough. And you say, what is Breakthrough? Breakthrough is a service that we do every other weekend on Friday night. And we do it as a, a time of extended worship and prayer. And we specifically believe for the supernatural power of God to intervene in our lives to meet needs that we cannot on our own. And very often he does that. Now let me tell you something. It is an opportunity. And, and opportunities have to be seized. How many know what I'm talking about? Let me give you an example before we get to our message. How many know who Steve Jobs is? If you know who Steve Jobs is, raise your hand. Okay, most of you know that's the, one of the founders of Apple. How many know who uh, Steve Wozniak is? Raise your hand. A uh, few more know who that is. He's also a founder of Apple. How many know who Ronald Wayne is? One. One in the back knows who Ronald Wayne is. Ronald Wayne was the third founder of Apple. But after a few months of being involved, after he contributed and bought $500 worth of shares of Apple, he decided to sell. He sold his shares for $800 and sold and signed a contract and received another $1,500 that he would never make a claim on Apple. 
In today's money, that $2,000 is worth $9,296. Had Ronald Wayne kept his 10% stake in Apple, he would be worth today $60 billion. Now, you say, why do you say that? Because it is in human nature to go, nah, I don't want to go to Breakthrough. Laverne and Shirley's on. I don't want to go to Breakthrough. I know I need healing, but hey, whatever. You need to come to receive. And I'm telling you, this is an opportunity. If you seize it, you will find that there's riches beyond compare in what God wants to do for you. So just mark that down. Amen? Amen. And so think about, also think about uh, uh, Easter. It's going to be a great time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to have a good time in the Lord today. I believe God's got a message for you that he's going to help you. Now, what I want to do is I want to ask you this morning a question that is going to seem maybe a little bit weird. It might be just a little bit off, but I want you to hang with me. And it is a rhetorical question, so you don't need to answer it, but I want you to think about it this morning. What would you think this morning about someone who never got serious about growing or developing in life? Imagine that person, for no other reason than just not doing it, remained completely undeveloped. This person can't read, they can't write, they can't work, they can't even feed themselves, but they have become totally dependent on others. Years have passed, and their refusal to grow has left them severely handicapped. What would you think about that? We would all think, well, that's crazy. That can't be going on. That, that would be completely against everything we have in life. You know, the reality is that's not true. But I'm here to tell you today that that scenario, as bizarre and as sad and as wasteful as it may seem, is happening over and over and over again in Christianity. I want you to hear me. See, many believers who have known the Lord for years have remained at the same level of spiritual immaturity since the day they got saved and were baby Christians. They've never applied themselves or got serious about their spiritual growth, and the result is they continually remain spiritually immature. And although they've been saved for years, calendar years, they're still sitting in the beginner's Sunday school class with children, figuratively speaking. Are you hearing me? They should be much further along in their spiritual growth but because they never, never became diligent about their walk with God, they just keep repeating the basics over and over again. Listen to me this morning. If there is a problem that is plaguing Christianity today, it is this. It is our dedication to spiritual infancy. You say, well, man, what are you saying? Just hang on with me. I'm going to take you. This is going to be good. This will help you. 
See, the greatest need of the church today is a greater number of deep, mature Christians. Christians that are not shallow nor superficial, but they are mature and they are committed. See, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is the primary spiritual problem and condition. See, we live in a world that loves to think that we are connected, that we are deep, that we have lots of relationships that, you know, think about it for a moment. I, think about Facebook. With all of the technology that we have today, we tout this idea of being so connected and so... The reality is we're not. When you go on Facebook, you have a list, 623 friends. You don't have 623 friends. You have 622 cyber stalkers and one friend. It's true. You have 622 people that kind of like the food you eat because you take pictures of it. They like where you go because you check in at Walmart and Chili's and Kmart and Safeway. And they like to know where you're at because they want to keep tabs on you. But they don't really care about you. They're not really your friend. The other day I was looking at my Facebook and I was looking at my friends. I, I think I have like 200 and some friends. And, and, uh, and it's, it was funny. I'm looking at my friends and, and one of my friends is my cousin. His name's Phil Young. Now Phil and I grew up together and we got in a lot of trouble together and did a lot of goofy things together. And Phil was a good guy, but the problem is, is tragically, Phil passed away about six years ago. And his sister keeps his Facebook page going in honor of him and recognition and people post to that. But here was the funny thing. There are people, there was a people in our church that are friends with my cousin Phil who passed away six years ago. And they just recently became friends. Okay. And I'm like, what? what? Are you talking to Phil? You don't need it. No, I, I don't need that. Are you sure? I'm positive. Right okay. Good call. And I'm like, uh, uh, what's up with that? Because what happens, see, in Facebook, we have this feature where it says, you might know this person. And we go, oh, yeah, I might. Click. And my list goes up, and it's like, wow, I feel good, man. I got 700, I got 1,000, I got 10,000 friends. No, you don't. And what it's become is it's reduced us down to some very superficial living. We're just not connected anymore. We're not connected in relationship anymore. We don't have these face-to-face -face encounters. We don't have this depth anymore. And the desperate need today is not that we have a great number of people that are intelligent or gifted, but we have people that are mature in their relationships, that are growing, and that they're moving forward. See, we've been talking about relationship for a while now, and, we, and, and this is part of something that we got to catch and get a hold of. God wants that in our lives, and we have to refuse this idea that we're just going to stay stagnant. How many know that in the kingdom of God, nothing is stagnant, nothing is static? The kingdom of God is moving. Yes, it is established. Yes, there is a firm foundation, but the kingdom of God is ever-growing. Can you say amen? And we need to be a part of that. But the problem is, is we tend to buy into all of this superficiality, and then we end up stagnating and never growing. 
Now I want you to look at a passage of scripture starting in Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at it out of the Message Bible. And I'll read it to you. It'll be on the board. You can follow along. It says, I have a lot more to say about this, but it is hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again. Starting from square one, baby's milk. When you should have been on solid food a long time ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature, who have some practice in telling right from wrong. So come on, let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place Turning your back on salvation by self-help and turning in trust toward God. Baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, God helping us. We'll stay true to all of that. But there is so much more, let's get on with it. When I read that, I thought, wow, that is a verse of Scripture that we need to listen to. Can you say amen? Amen. Because if there's anything that I've learned in my Christian journey, in my walk with God, it's this, is that relationship with our Heavenly Father is a living, breathing, growing dynamic. Are you hearing me? No two relationships are the same, and each relationship is to be continually growing. With each passing day, our relationship with the Father should be getting deeper and deeper and more intimate. Are you hearing me? Growing in your relationship with the Father means we get to know Him better. And the result is we are deeper in love with him in our relationship. And when the Holy Spirit directs your life, you experience a deeper relationship with God and you will grow in your ability to trust him. Not only that, your growing love for God will lead you and give you the strength and the ability to actually obey what he tells us to do. See, just as it is natural for a child's relationship with their parents to change and grow, so it is natural for our relationship with God to change and grow. See, there's, there is nothing more attractive in life than watching an, an intimate relationship between a father and a son or a mother and a daughter where it's growing. Isn't it wonderful when you meet people where the mother and daughter or the father and son, they are friends. They're more than just, it's just more than a title, but there is a connection that you could truly feel. See, I think about my children, I think about my adult children, Jason and Andy and Amy, and I think about how that, yes, I am their father, and yes, they are my children, but somewhere along the line, we've grown into a place of friendship. We have mutual partnership and appreciation. We connect together. There are good days, there are bad days, but there are always my friends. They are always my family. And we're growing together and it's getting better and better and better as we go. And as they grow, we grow. Isn't that a wonderful idea? And it's that kind of relationship that God desires 
to sustain with you and I as his children as we progress towards maturity. Now, I want you to listen to some portions of Scripture, and I want you to think this through with me. In John 15, 15, it says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for servants don't know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I've made known to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's revealing to them that there is a progression, there is a growth, there is a maturity in their relationship. He said, at one time, I was your master, you were my servant, I was your discipler, you were my disciples. Now we've come to a place where I don't call you servants, I don't call you uh, uh, disciples, I call you friends. You are my friends because I'm revealing to you the heart of the Father. I want you to partner with me as a friend. We're growing in relationship in James chapter 2, verse 23. And it says, as the scripture was fulfilled, which was said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. That as Abraham grew in his faith, As he learned to trust God, as he learned to walk with God and have faith in God, their relationship deepened until one at one point his epitaph is that he is and was the friend of God. In Galatians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Listen to that. It's a progression of relationship. He is taking us from one place to the next. As we mature in him in relationship, we also mature spiritually. There's something very powerful about this. And he links us. He says, you are my children. And it is so significant that he says that we're heirs with Christ, joint heirs. Do you know what that means? That means everything Jesus has, I have. Are you hearing that? Now, this is powerful, church. This is who we are. You need to think about that. Who are you? I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a son of God. I'm not a slave. I'm not a servant. I'm a son of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, this whole process of growth in relationship and maturity was God's idea. That's what he's doing. He's, he's saying, look, at, I, I love you just the way you are. I love you where you're at, but I don't want you to stay there. I want to move you. I want to progress you. I want you to mature in me as you mature in your spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, such growth and development of maturity opens the door to an ever-deepening intimacy with God. And in turn, that intimacy makes possible and accelerates a greater maturity of spiritual life and living in Him. See, here's the key 
to our understanding about relationship with God. It must be growing. And if it's growing, we are growing. Notice in all of this, there is a symbiotic connection between maturity and relationship. Notice that this morning. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot walk in maturity and not have relationship. You cannot walk in relationship and not be mature. They are symbiotic. They work together and they are necessary partners. It would be just like when you study faith, you begin to understand that faith has a partner that very much goes unseen. It's called patience. Faith and patience work together. To accomplish, it says you, the Bible says you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you would receive the promise. The problem is there's a lot of people that have faith, but they have no patience, and they wonder why their faith don't work. It's because they've missed something that's extremely important. It's the same thing in relationship and maturity. We want maturity, we want relationship, but one of the other gets sidelined. Come on now. See, there's been a dramatic shift in our society over the past several years. We've gone from a sense of community and connection and relationship to a place where what we do is demand service and entertainment. Amen. And our society has put a huge emphasis on how we feel being more important than what we should be. Our society has turned inward rather than outward, And it is a reflection this morning of our self-absorption and immaturity. See, how do you measure immaturity? Well, how much do you pay attention? See, when a baby is an infant, that baby is completely dependent. There's an immaturity. They cannot. But as that baby grows, what do we expect? We expect that child to become more and more capable of self-sustaining. That it's not all about them. How many parents have teenagers and you've looked at a teenager in a, in a moment of frustration and said, you know what, the world doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> Isn't is that the famous words of every parent at some point? <laughs> and somehow those teenagers believe the world and the universe revolves around them. It's not fair. <laughs> well, get used to that. Life ain't fair, man. Come on. I can't believe you never let me do anything. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm letting you clean your room. What do you mean I don't let you do anything? (laughs) I'm letting you breathe right now, and if you push me too much, I'm going to probably stop letting you do that. I'm letting you eat my food. No, you thought it was yours. You didn't do anything for it. I bought it. I worked for it. I provided it. <clears throat> Amen. That, there's a crossover in that in the spiritual. Would you say, fair God? God's like, what? I'm a just God. No, no. I, I, this is going to sound crazy. Sometimes God's not fair. But he is always just. Sometimes things don't work out the way we want them. Our sense of fairness is skewed. But I'm going to tell you what, God always balances the books. God always has your best interest at heart. Always. We don't always understand. 
And sometimes what happens is we get into this thing and, and because of those dynamics and circumstances, we either are drawn or pulled away from relationship, which ultimately draws us or pulls us away from maturity. Right. And the tragic problem is that Christianity often reflects society. And probably the greatest weakness of Christianity today is that people are failing to move into maturity. And if we're not careful, we will strive to be happy rather than holy. Our focus will be on how, how to feel good rather than faithfulness or godliness. Listen to me today. And all through this sermon, you need to understand, holiness is who you are. It's not, it's not something you do, it's something you are. Amen. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're not working towards that, you're working from that. Amen. Are you hearing me? It's who you are. You know, do you know why we talk about, you, Paul talks about all through, the, God, or all through the, uh, the letters to the different churches, he talks about this is how you live. Those that steal, steal no more. Those that are lying, don't lie. Don't be lazy. He said, you know why? Because that's not who you are. Do you know why we don't commit adultery? Because it's not who we are. The reason we don't cuss, it's not who we are. The reason we don't listen to dirty jokes, it's not who we are. And that is growing because we finally learn who we are. We find out that we have an identity, that we are a child of God, and we have a position and a place of what God has already created us to be, and therefore we can be it. The Bible clearly teaches us that Christ wants us to move towards a mature walk with God. And it's not enough just to get saved and wait for heaven. Growth should be a normal part of our relationship with God. Spiritual growth is not an option. It is as real and vital to our spiritual life and living as it is our physical life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, in our text, the writer of Hebrews, he encourages us to cultivate this strong desire to move into godly maturity. And he says this, he says, and this I'm reading from the NIV on this one. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on into maturity. He's not saying forget them, leave them behind, ignore them. He goes, just let's let them aside. He goes, we are going to take care of those, but we need to move on laying again the foundation of repentance from Acts from acts that lead to death and faith in God. In other words, we can't afford to get stagnant. We can't afford to get stuck. And that's what's happened with a lot of Christians. See, the Greek word for maturity literally means an end, a goal, or a limit. It It combines two ideas, the attaining of some standard or the achieving of some goal. So with that thought in mind, I want you to listen to this verse of Scripture because this captures what God is doing in the church perfectly. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to a mature, or in this case it says a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the standard. That's the goal, is that we would reflect Christ, that we would mature into the image of Jesus Christ in our life, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But listen, speaking truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So in other words, there is an emphasis on becoming mature here. It's ceasing to be children. It's growing up and it's becoming mature like him. That's the goal. That's why he gave pastors and prophets and teachers to equip the saints and to cause them to grow. Spiritual maturity this morning can be expressed in the simplest terms, Christ-likeness, to be like Christ. We are mature only in so far as we are like Christ. Now listen, it's easy to be like Christ when everything's going well. How many know what I'm talking about? When there's plenty of money in the checkbook and there's not a lot of bills and the refrigerator's full of food and the boss is not on your case and the wife and the husband are getting along and the kids are minding and the dog's not jumping the fence and everything else. It's, you know what? It's easy to be Christ-like. But what happens when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Years ago, back in the 90s, there was a thing that got real popular. I think it was in the 80s, too. What would Jesus do? And that took some hits and all of that. And there was all kinds of things. What would Jesus do? And, you know, and, and it probably is a good thing to remind ourselves. If, if, if somebody cuts you off in line at Safeway, what would Jesus do? Knock him in the head. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> if somebody says something about you that's not true, what would Jesus do? Well, he would die on a cross. What would you do? Right. Good, good word. Be like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I'm not sure I like that bumper sticker. We need to be like Jesus. See, because people do talk about you. They say all manner of things about you. They lie about you. All kinds of things. Well, how are we going to act? What are we going to do? Are we going to be mature and walk this thing out called Christianity? Or is it something we just do on the weekend? Come on now. In this passage of Scripture in Ephesians, Paul links our maturity as a direct result of knowing him. Knowing him brings about maturity. And once again, relationship and maturity are linked. They are mutually dependent upon one another. Without relationship, there is no maturity. And without maturity, there is no relationship. Listen to this in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. It says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory in both now and forever. Amen. Amen. He says the antidote to f- from falling away, the antidote for making shipwreck your faith, is get to know him. Yeah. Yep. Get to know him. 
get to know him. That is the key to maturity. Get to know him. Know him. Walk with him. Here's the problem. Many Christians this morning are stuck somewhere between Easter and Pentecost. So what does that mean? That means they've been saved, and they may even have had a couple encounters or two, but much of their lives remains unchanged. You know, church, I, I didn't tell the other two this, but uh, services, but I'll, I'll, let, me, let me be a little vulnerable with you. I've told you in the past that I'm on a journey. This, this last five years has been really a, a, just a, an intense journey, some good, some bad. It hasn't been the easiest thing. And I've discovered things about my life in the midst of this that I've had to change. I've had to ask myself some hard questions. Is that really what you believe? See, it's easy, church, just to put it on autopilot. Amen. And just to fly. The problem with autopilot is you only can go so far as you have fuel for And then the autopilot shuts off. And the problem is today there's a lot of Christians that just got it on autopilot. They come to church. They hear a sermon. They sit in a worship service. But by and large, they're unmoved, unchanged. I remember years ago being in a, in a conference. And a, a man, a brilliant, brilliant man by the name of Ernie Lister was preaching. And Ernie was one of these guys that, that he had a vocabulary that you had to carry a dictionary around with him just to understand him. But he said this in the conference. He says, you know, he goes, I'm tired of being stirred. I want to be changed. You know, as I read the Bible, you know, Jeff made a statement. He said, God is a God of miracles. And there is nothing more true than that. Every person sitting in this room tonight, today, is a miracle. You're a miracle. You are a miracle. And God wants to do so much more. He wants to meet you in ways that you can never even fathom. But see, the problem is, is that a lot of times we're just sitting waiting for a magical moment. I shared in the the Saturday night service about Jeff and I. Jeff Adams and I go back 30-some years back in 1984. and We've been friends for a very long time. And, and um, 1984, I met Jeff and Rose and kind of got involved in the church with them. And then about 1987, Pastor Howard came to Kingman. And Jeff and I were, we were the disciples. We... We wanted ministry more than anything. We talked about it daily together. And I remember when Pastor Pennington came, it was like, man, this guy, he breathed wisdom. We went out, me and Jeff went out and bought notebooks so that we could write down everything Howard said. When we would ride in the car with him, everything he said, we'd go, oh, that's right. He would say stuff like this. We were so ignorant back then. This is how goofy it was. Howard. Howard would say something like this. He'd say, you wouldn't know somebody's ignorant until they open their mouth. And we were the only ones talking. <laughs> but we thought, we were so clueless, that's great. Because we, 
It had to be about somebody else because, man, we're the children of wisdom, you know. And so we, we wanted ministry and we wanted to grow, and, and we did. We did. But there came a time when Brother Jeff got promoted in the ministry above me, and he became basically what was at that time the equivalent of the assistant pastor. And all of a sudden, Jeff thought he had the right to tell me what to do. In fact, the one instance that I'm remembering, I'm thinking there's several of them, <coughs> he told me to go vacuum the prayer room. I told him he needed to go vacuum the prayer room. He ain't telling me what to do. Who are you? Huh. You wouldn't know somebody is ignorant until they opened their mouth, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I was complaining and griping and went home from church and Kathy and I are driving in the car and I said, I think I'm going to leave this church. They're going to promote a guy like that. I know him. I know where the skeletons are buried. It was just crazy. It's stupid. It's just, it's children. It's the playpen is what it was. But then the next morning, it was a Monday morning. <coughs> Pastor Pennington come into the prayer room and he tapped me on the shoulder and he says, upstairs. I thought, oh dear God. I went, oh no. And so I started going through my brain of all of the things that I said about Jeff and did I say them publicly and did I complain? And I know it's hard for you to believe that I complained, but I was complaining and I'm thinking, dear God, I'm in trouble. And so he gets me upstairs and I'm sitting in front of his desk and he looks at me and I'm thinking he's going to just level the field here. But he says, hey, a church has come open and I'd like to send you there as the pastor. And the first thing I said was, no. I'd spent all my time complaining that I was completely unprepared. See, I was waiting for a magical moment rather than preparing. Finally, through a bunch of circumstances, I ended up taking the church and we went and it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life that I never want to repeat again. But the truth is, I learned a lesson, and that lesson was, you need to get on with it. You need to grow in your relationship, because you never know when you're going to be called on. And I'm going to tell you something. When you think that you've been overlooked, or you think that nobody's paying attention, or that you have no contribution to give, or you think that your life is, is irrelevant, it'll be in that moment that God will open a door. And the question is, will you have the maturity to be able to step through that door? Will you have the relationship and the maturity to be able to go on? See, I love this church. I've given my life to this church. Blood, sweat, and tears in this church. I've worked on the building. I know everything. I know what's inside the walls. I was there when we made them. I was here when we laid the carpet twice in this room. There's that pillar right there inside there, that, that one right there. On that side, it says, bad dog, no biscuit. You say, say, why is that? Because that pillar is seven inches out from that one. That beam goes like this. <clears throat> I've been here a long time, and I love this church. And I believe God's got so much for this church. He's got so much for you and I. This church has been here. It has faced some things that a lot of churches never face and make it through. God has had his hand on this church, but God wants this church to mature. God wants this church to grow. 
And the thing is, is what's happening is we are forgetting who we are. Let me just, let me, I'm going to take a couple more minutes and I'm done. You know, I won't take the time to read it all, but I'll just tell you this. Back when Abraham Lincoln set the slaves free, a slave was interviewed in Alabama. says, what do you think about all this? He goes, I don't even know. This is what he said. He says, I know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, and I know nothing about freedom. Do Do you know that most of the slaves remained enslaved, even though that they were free? And that's so much like Christianity. We've been set free. Jesus said, old things pass away, all things become new. And he said, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But yet, we are stuck. People are still dealing with... Because see, in the beginning days of salvation, you will deal with some ups and downs and back and forth. And you won't know all there is to know. And you will have to kind of work your way through some stuff. That's called infancy. But when we're 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road and we're still dealing with those same things, something's wrong. Because we haven't grown in maturity. God wants us to grow, church. He doesn't want us to grow. He's not, I'm not coming here today with this message with a baseball bat looking at you and going, you know what, Pat Philly, you better get your life right or you're going to hell. That's not what I'm doing. That's not the heart of God. God's coming and he's saying, oh, church, I have so much for you. I love you. You're the apple of my eye. There's so much I have already made you. You're already it. Now go be it. He said, how do I be it? You walk in relationship with him. It says in Colossians chapter 3 that we walk, we are established, rooted and grounded, walking in him. You know, as I close this service, there's an illustration, a story that I often tell, and I love it because it so captures this. It was a movie that came out. I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s. I don't know when it was. Corny movie. Kind of goofy. It was called The Princess Diaries. <laughs> you should rent it. It's worth the watch. It won't offend you. And the movie is about this girl who is about 15, 16 years old. Who, uh, she's just kind of a goofy girl. She's got wild and crazy hair. and She's just socially awkward. And she just kind of walks to the beat of a different drummer. It's kind of, you know, one of those kind of just, you remember in high school, right? You remember those ones, they're the wallflowers and they have kind of strange friends and it's like they're the, you know, the weird group. You know what I'm talking about. And she was kind of just that way, just goofy. She's just goofy. Well, the story behind her life is that her father, who she had never met because he had died when she was an infant, was a prince of a country in Europe called Genovia. Don't go look it up. It doesn't exist. It's fiction. And her grandmother was the queen. Well, the grandmother gets sick and now they're concerned about, you know, who's going to sit on the throne. So they have to go find the heir apparent. So they find this girl who's 15, 16 years old, who's basically a mall rat. She's just goofy. She can't hardly get life together. She's just weird. And these very official men come And they tell her, you are a princess. 
And you know what? She was a princess the day she was born. She was royalty the day she was born. And the whole movie is about giving her princess lessons so that she could grow to become what she was already born to be. And that was queen. I'm telling you today that the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross is so efficient and effective and so real that he says, you are my son. You're royalty. You're my daughter. You're my children. Done. It's who you are. And now he says, I want you to grow in that with me. That is relationship connected with identity working together to bring maturity. Are you hearing me? Church, that's what Jesus is saying to us. I can come out here and I can slam you with a bunch of rules. I can tell you you ought not to do this and you ought not to do that and you ought to not to. You know that already. So how do you know that? Because when somebody's watching, you hide. How do you know something's sin? If you got to hide it, it's sin. Well, that's a sermon for another time, isn't it? Don't even get on that one. God wants us to grow, church, so that we can become what we already are. So all we got to do is walk it out. But there's a decision. Now, this is a two-part sermon, and there's no way that I could finish this. So next week, we're going to walk it out a little bit. So you need to come because God has something for you that's so powerful. It will help you and change your life. Can you say amen this morning? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your truth and we thank you for your love and your grace. And we pray today, God, that you would help us. (laughs) Father, this revelation of identity and relationship and maturity... Father, you would help us to put it all together. Father, that we can walk it out. Father, give us the strength to understand. Father, open our hearts and our minds, God, to this truth. Father, that you would become more and more and more real in our lives. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. And Father, we give you the glory. I wonder today, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't even know if I know Jesus. I've never asked him to come into my life. I've never asked for my sins to be forgiven. But if that's you today, would you lift your hand? Would you lift it up and say, I need Jesus. I need salvation today. If that's you, lift your hand quickly. Lift it up all over this place. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. You can all look up at me today. I preach this message today because my heart is being moved by God. I find it in my own life, this desperate need to grow, to become mature, to get deeper. In Proverbs, I believe it is, it says that deep cries out to deep. And I hear the cry. And I want to say that to the church. I love this church. I love you. And I appreciate you. And I want you to grow And I want you to become all that God has made you to be. Because it is your birthright. Can you say amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place. Our prayer team is coming if you have a need of any kind. Come on up.